Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. Tonight, I am joined by Amanda, and Amanda has been on the show a couple times before, so I'll let her give her plugs right quick, and then we're going to kind of jump into it, because tonight we have a more serious topic than what we've covered the last couple times. You, the, the last couple times man, Amanda has been on it's been a little light and humorous, not that this isn't pretty fucking hilarious, but deliberately humorous, so a little more of a, uh, a, little more of a heavy topic for tonight's show. So go ahead, Amanda, uh, introduce yourself once again for anybody who has missed the last couple times you were on the show. Yeah, so my name is Amanda. By the way, Justin, you probably know this. You're a little bit cutting out on me with your audio video. Um, but while that gets squared away, yeah, I'm Amanda, and I am one half of the Civil Discord podcast, which you can find on all your finest podcasting platforms and actually uh, you can find us on youtube as well starting our next episode we will be doing live episodes uh so that is really fun and wonderful my co-host is named maurice he's great as well and i am a uh, a female in academia so that helps i'm a phd student uh in the uh in los angeles in the people's republic of california so uh yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on and reaching out. Yeah, and hopefully some of my uh, choppiness has evened itself out. Um, if yeah. not, just let me know and I'll see if I can do something else to fix it. Sounds good. All right. You're you're good now. Sweet. That, I was uh, I have a little mobile hotspot that I use specifically for like uploads, and it's yeah. not as good for live streaming. So. As we were starting, I was like, oh, I need to turn that off and switch over to the to the Ethernet cable. Otherwise, it's going to be choppy. And so I was in the process of uh, switching. So got it. Got it. A little uh, how the sausage is made for the audience members. So I wanted to start with a quote from this article. 
And uh, this is a quote from uh, Hannah uh, Arendt. Um, yes. Hopefully I... I, I actually it. have never figured out whether it's Arendt or Arendt, but yeah, I Hannah Arendt, I say. If someone wants to see and experience the world as it really is, he can do so only by understanding it as something that is shared by many people, lies between them, separates them, showing itself differently to each and comprehensible only to the extent that many people can talk about it and exchange their opinions and perspectives with one another over against one another. Only in the freedom of our speaking with one another does the world, as that about which we speak, emerge in its objectivity and visibility from all sides. So this is kind of our, yeah. So this no, is kind standing of like for a, pluralism. A hallmark of academia is that we should be able to openly discuss and talk about things. Um, one of my one of my favorite courses when I was in college was a sociology class, and it was chock full of feminists and um, extremely liberal types and it was fun and engaging because the professor was radically liberal and I'm naturally confrontational so basically every class period would be me pushing back against stuff he had to say and then having all of the females in the class like scream and berate me and then he and I would have a, a good conversation um, so like being able to disagree with each other in an academic setting is of utmost importance. My, uh, my English comp class, that was the entire premise of the class. Like all we did was write uh, position pieces. You would, you would take one side and, and every class period was just the professor would come in and write a bunch of topics up on the board and say, pick one and pick a side. And then whatever side you picked, he would take the opposite of it. And the rest of the class would be, arguing your side versus whoever else in the class took up the other side or arguing with the professor, trying to formulate good reasoning and sound logic behind this is why I believe this, this is why you believe this, and being able to both create an argument and uh, understand the opposite side of the argument. So to see academia the way it is today, where um, have, are you familiar with... Um, the coddling of the American mind came oh, out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So when you look at stuff like Evergreen College and, and a lot of the the different uh, examples that are given in coddling of the American mind, like it's really kind of disheartening. I I've, I told my son the other day, like, do not go to college, go to trade school, do literally anything else. Like, I, um, I know we've kind of pushed you in the direction that college is a good idea, but we should really be reconsidering that. And and seeing the way that, you know, between the coddling of the American mind and then this article, which I'll, I'll pull up once we kind of get into it, um, it, it really feels like um, being able to have a nuanced opinion that doesn't meet with whatever the popular opinion is, is uh, has kind of been keeled over in uh, modern academia. So I'll let you kind of touch on that and kind of take it from that perspective right off the top no. because you are currently in American academia and no. especially you're in the higher levels of it so so you're mm -hmm. you probably get to see some of that um I mean 
as you said in your introduction, you're in the higher levels of it in California. So you're you're probably getting to see some of it at its worst in, in some ways, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and I so I have friends who are on on the left, very much so, and will express privately to me um, how they feel about, you know, discussing um, any really any kind of political issue in class or any social issue in class, um, gender especially. Um, I, I'll have friends that will, you know, I, <laughs> I've turned them on to people like John McCorder and I've turned them on to people like, like Glenn Lowry. And, and it's funny because they'll come up and they'll say, Did, have you, have you seen this person? Do you know who this is? Like, yeah, no, I, they've got a podcast. I listen to it. It's great. Um, so, but, uh, it's really cute. Uh, I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't, uh, you know, be dismissive. It, it, it actually is very heartening to see them discover these people, these great thinkers. Um, and these heterodox thinkers. Um, yeah, so I, you know, it's very interesting to me because I get the sense um, in a lot of ways, and UCLA is fantastic. I've, you know, the, the professors are wonderful. The students are wonderful. They're very, very intelligent, but there is a fear. And I think a lot of times it comes from the administration. There, there's a fear of, and I'm not speaking about UCLA specifically, it's, it's really everywhere that I've been, this fear of administrative retaliation. Oh, well, this goes against this policy or that policy. And I think it, it's, it's cultural. It bleeds in from, from culture and cultural discourse. Um, what, I encounter more because you'll hear people who say, well, you know, it, when someone expresses a controversial opinion, they don't get shouted down. They don't, you know, they don't get, you know, they don't get kicked out of class. But what's happened now by this point is that, no, they don't get shouted down because they don't express these opinions. And instead, they'll talk privately to me and say, you know, when so-and-so said this, I really wanted to say this but I was terrified that it would get taken as some misogynistic comment. Um, and, and that's sad to me. And I've actually, there have been times when I have been on my computer, I've been on my laptop taking notes in class and someone starts making a point, right? That I know might get them into hot water with, with another student. And I'll, I'll open up WhatsApp and I'll say, if you phrase it like that, it'll sort of coach them on how to deliver uh, a remark in a way that's perhaps a little bit more benign. So maybe I'm contributing to this as well. But I, you know, um, I, I've given people tips on, on how to express uh, heterodox opinions. Well, that's something that you're seeing in not just in academia, but also in journalism and stuff like that. Like it's yeah. it's really become. Um, way too commonplace just in in modern society that people are scared to have an opinion that doesn't match whatever is the the popular narrative of the time because they know that if they do express that opinion or, or like for instance we've seen over the past couple of years the medical industry like anybody in the medical field who dared to say that covid numbers were being counted wrong or dared to say that Maybe you should be looking at some of the uh, some of the data on these vaccines or, you know, there's a lot of things that have been very taboo over the last couple of years that if you were in the medical field and said that there was a high probability you wouldn't have a job anymore. In fact, there was a doctor that um, 
it was before I can't remember if he was in Oregon or Colorado. It was somewhere out in that part of the country. Um, that was refusing to go by the the prescribed uh, vaccine schedule for mm. for his ch- for children who were his patients. Um, if if the parents wanted them, he would give them the information, let them do the research on their own about the different vaccines. And if they wanted them, then he would administer them. But he wasn't going, he wasn't going on the schedule. He was going on uh, informed consent of the parents, and he lost his, his medical license for it, just wow. for no more than the fact that he wouldn't just blindly follow the schedule. That he was, he was giving the parents information, and letting them make the decision on their own. So, like that's that's where we are in society. Is if you if you dare to have the gall to formulate a an opinion that doesn't match the narrative then you're likely to not have a job or not have a a, a place in your field anymore so th- that's something that as we start to get into this uh this article that's something that that they talk about and i wasn't yeah i hadn't heard of this article prior to actually reading it i had absolutely no um I had no persuasion one way or the other as to what this was about. I saw the headline, the gender wars and academic freedom. And I thought, okay, this could be interesting. Let me read it. And as I got to reading it, I was like, oh, wow. They're like, this, this is like the cobbling of the American mind for transgenderism. Like they're, they're uh, going into the depth of how, how this particular issue is kind of destroying, uh, the academic or higher academia in specifically in, in Great Britain. Uh, so I thought it was really interesting. What were, what were some of your like early takeaways from, from kind of looking at this, especially as we get into the first uh, four or five paragraphs where they're, where they're really talking about the, the different language that's used in academia and stuff like that. Like what, what was some of your takeaways from the article? Sure. Yeah. And and bef- before I forget, too, I wanted to make a, a, a that's kind of a related uh, another point about sort of what I observe and, and, and my, my experiences in academia. So I am a Machiavelli scholar. I study Machiavelli um, and I very frequently will encounter, you know, there, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of dudes in Machiavelli scholarship, which is great. And then there's there tends to be an assumption um, if I'm presenting or writing or, or, or say that I'm a Machiavelli scholar, that I'm a feminist Machiavelli scholar, which I still don't even know what that means. Um, and if feminist scholarship is, I, I don't really understand what people mean by it because they always mean something different. Um, I, I would, I know what, who, you know, who the, who the writers of the feminist movement and political theory are generally speaking, but this, this notion that, well, I, I wrote my MA thesis on Machiavelli and Fortuna. Oh, so so I I'll bet you think that he's a misogynist. Actually, no, I very much don't. And there's there's the there's an entire my entire MA thesis kind of debunks a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, this 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 tendency to assume that every woman in academia is a feminist scholar. Um, that is another thing that I've that I've experienced, which is odd because it seems like it comes more from the left. Where oh well, do you focus on women's issues? Do you focus on gender studies and politics? Well, no, not really. I like, 
can I still have a job? I, you know, um, so that's that's another thing that I that I've uh, experienced. I, th I think you said something that was interesting right there, just on its face, is that you get that mostly from the left. Like, isn't it funny that the uh, the right is supposedly is it, okay? So, uh, whether you are aware of it or not, I tend to lean more paleo libertarian, uh, post libertarian type. I'm I'm I was brought up very right wing, and and uh, at the end of the day, I kind of fall back to those roots. Um, when the way I approach a lot of stuff, isn't it kind of funny how anytime you're approached with stuff like uh, racism, gendering, all of those things, it always seems to come from the, the left. Like I've, and I've also identified as a libertarian for a number of years and I've fought with right wingers and left wingers on the internet regularly. Uh, probably more so than I should have, and to my wife's chagrin, like uh, almost daily at, at times, um, um, I never get the racist, misogynist, homophobic, any of those arguments from the right. They always come from the left. Like, and I, I can be incredibly racist and homophobic and misogynistic when arguing with both sides, and the only ones who ever call it are are the left that the right doesn't seem to care about all those buzzwords, at least not in terms of the, uh, the ones who actually have reasonable nuanced opinions. I don't know that anybody on the left has reasonable nuanced opinions, honestly, but that's, that's a different conversation. Um, uh, they do. They do. I, as, as someone who is an academia and is inundated with, with people who are on, on the very far left. In fact, it's usually the extreme far leftists that, that are quite, that I get along with quite well. I really, really get along with extreme leftists very well. Um, I appreciate them. So they, they are intelligent, but. So you're saying it's the midwits are the problem. Uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of times when I appreciate someone who takes their argument to its logical conclusion, and there's there's a bit of refusal to do that among uh, among some. Um, fortunately, I, I don't really encounter them much in 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 the classroom and in PhD programs because they're you know they're they're very very uh, staunchly whatever left leaning um, left leaning persons for the most part. So let's uh, let's start to kind of get into this article a little bit. It it has a the first opening uh, like four or five paragraphs get into the slogan slogan and the academic argument of trans women are women, and and so what this talks about is that in a higher academia, specifically in uh, England and and Great Britain. What they've been running into is if you aren't willing to accept the uh, if you aren't willing to accept that that wording that trans women are women, that if there's any level of pushback against that, because there are people who, as you said, like um, a lot of times women in academia will get the label of feminist, whether you are or aren't. But for a lot of these, they are, uh, I guess what I would probably call real feminists like they they actually believe in um equality for women and so what this the idea for them of trans women or women 
has done is it's um, it's debased the the status of being a woman, and mm-hmm. and so in talking about that from a not just from a philosophical standpoint, but from a purely scientific standpoint, they are they are now finding themselves on the end of being canceled by um, basically by everybody who promotes the the most progressive agenda uh, out there. And so it's mm-hmm. so it's creating this schism between um, progressivism and feminism, which is I find that I find that interesting um, because to some extent I, I do kind of identify both sides as uh, very similarly aligned, but now you get to see the rift and and see where uh, where the big disagreement is. And it's it goes back to some of the uh, well, not just some of a lot of the the arguments from um, the coddling of the American mind, where what you see is people on the left who are suggesting maybe we shouldn't be completely insane, and then the insane part of the left going in and just canceling them and running them out of their careers. So, <laughs> well, it- and Bette Midler actually just just got in trouble for this because she just she had this tweet right where she said, you know, God, they're trying to cancel us. They're trying to erase women. They're now we can't say women. We have to say people with uteruses or people with vaginas. And you know, for me as someone who actually kind of it's it's funny because I I sort of do accept a lot of left leaning gender ideology and then carry it again to its sort of logical conclusion that I do distinguish between gender and sex. And for that reason, you know, I'm use whatever pronouns you want, but I feel like uh, for me, gender is, is kind of meaningless. So it's, it's funny to, and, and so it's funny to see people twist themselves into knots a little bit, trying to say, well, you know, are are women people with uteruses, or are they are they people who identify as a woman regardless? And um, I, you know, I have my own my own very strange views on it that that make no one happy. <laughs> um, but uh, at any rate, yeah, it was funny to to see that you know those those, those worlds coming into contact with one another. Yeah, I'm trying to find that that tweet because it was pretty. Uh... I don't want to say it was pretty brilliant, but by God, it was pretty brilliant. Like she didn't, she didn't intend for the, for the backlash that she got. But then after she tweeted it, like the backlash she got was pretty insane. And, um, and it was like, like your, like everything that she said in her tweet was reasonable. Like it wasn't, she didn't say anything unscientific she didn't say anything necessarily untrue nothing that she said was inflammatory but man if you went through and looked at the the comments on that it was absolutely insane like they ripped her up one side and down the other and it it was funny to see people say oh no she she just still has things to learn you know she's from a different generation and it is great when i you know when i try to talk to my parents about gender ideology and how, you know, how, how to behave um, and what the right things to say are and the wrong things to say are. It, it is very, it's, it's interesting to me. Oh, here we go. We got the Bette Midler tweet up here. 
Yeah, see if I can get it. Blow it up a little bit so it's easier to read. Women of the world, we are being stripped of our rights over our bodies, our lives, and even our name. They don't call us women anymore. They call us birthing people or menstruators and even people with vaginas. Don't let them erase you. Every human on earth owes you. And then, uh, I mean, the very first comment, no, don't fall for the anti-trans panic fake nonsense. No one is erasing women. In a few small healthcare cases where appropriate, they're using trans-inclusive language. That's all. <laughs> Seems a little tone deaf, but okay, whatever you say, lady. Uh, man, like all, but all of the comments were like this. Like, it was just... And normally, Bette Midler is a darling of the left. Like, yeah, extremely. Most of, her, most of her tweets are like, you know, the yes, slight queen, you know, all that stuff. And and this one, I mean, the first two are are very nice. If you continue to go through, they get more and more uh, hateful and and just not not nice at all. It's pretty pretty impressive. And and then of course it gets tons of attention from the right because because then everybody on the right is like oh look that midler's saying what we've been saying this whole time are y'all gonna actually listen to her no you're not you're gonna chew her leg off and I, i'm surprised that she hadn't deleted it honestly i i figured that would get would have been deleted by now yeah i, I guess she should kind of like tried to walk it back a little bit and apologize like i wasn't you know trying to exclude trans people and um yeah, so she's, I, but you're right. She didn't delete it. So props to her. That's that's something I like. Like if you're going to, if you're going to say it, stand by it. Um, don't don't puss out on it. I guess for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, yeah. Like like own it. That's that's if that's your opinion, if that's what you um, you have conviction behind a belief, then believe it and 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 stand by it. I mean even. Like, yeah, I think she she did try to walk it back a little bit, but not, I mean, she did not issue any apology, She and she hasn't right. deleted it. It's it's still up there, so so she's not, uh, she's not running away from it. She's mitigating some of the after effects, perhaps. Um, so back to the, back to the article. How much do you want to get into about the, the scientific and the um, the academic argument around the transgender uh, idea here, like uh, that's anything anything you desire. Uh, you, you are you are the host, so we can get into whatever. Stay out of whatever. All right, so let's let's just cover the the uh, the thing I find more interesting about this article is the conversation of academia itself and kind of the. Uh, where academia is falling short um, because of stuff like this, but but we can we can touch on uh, what did you think about the arguments that they were that they were making in terms of um, how the almost aggressively pro-trans agenda has negated females in um, the sciences, I guess would be, a, I think that's the way to put it. I think there's some interesting points, right? So again, there, there were some things that I agreed with and some things where I could, I could you know, take, take a little bit of issue and pick it apart. I think there's a, you know, there's a group of people, people 
who say that sex and gender are basically the same thing. And then there's a group of people who say, no, they're distinct. And so if you say a female, that, that's different from saying a woman. Um, I, in fact, belong to the latter camp. And I agree that, uh, you know, that what these authors are talking about, about some of the chilling effect in academia is, is real and that these are really actually very interesting ontological questions that we can be asking and having debates over. Because for me, it really kind of does come down to my own existentialism and, and ideas of, of being and all that. Um, we can't have those conversations. I would have, you know, appreciated maybe if, if, if they were, because they're, they clearly have their own bias and that's totally fine. Maybe to have a co-author who feels perhaps a bit more like I do, uh, who's almost like a gender nihilist, <laughs> but um, I, I did absolutely think that there is, there's something to refusing to to refer to someone as, as as a woman, but rather someone with a vagina. And I do think that in the sciences, it is important because there are a lot of times there are differences that arise as a result of sexual dimorphism. Now, do these manifest always in the same ways for everyone? Absolutely not, which is why it's so it's so tricky and so dicey. But it is productive to have cross tabs that split things by gender or sex. Um, it is it is a a valid category, and in fact, maybe to even distinguish. Okay, do the cross tabs for gender identity? Do the cross tabs for biological sex? Um, I I thought that was a very valuable point that they made. That these are important distinctions, and and in fact, you know. It, people agree that these are important distinctions. That's why we're fighting about it. That's that's why people are are very sensitive about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I like I probably don't necessarily um, agree with with that side of it so much. And, oh, and sure. I, but I mean that's I think I have a very skewed bias in it because most of so having been an athlete for most of my life and working around athletes for most of my life, most of my exposure to this sort of argument comes from the uh, specifically transgender women in sports side of things. That's usually what I'm most uh, engaged in. And so, mm -hmm. so that, that really changes my, or not necessarily changes, but that, that puts me in a very, uh, a narrowly focused perspective when looking at these types of issues and then yeah. like, I really don't have a whole lot of exposure to anything outside of that. Like I know that um, in college, I worked for women's basketball teams. These are division one collegiate female athletes. And I could put together a team of ragtag dudes that I play basketball with at the rec center on the weekends. And we could run them out of the gym without even putting forth effort. So, right. like, so so you know when I look at when I look at things from uh, from a male female distinction where sports are concerned, it's hard for me to get on board with any level of uh, the gender identity side of it because right. there is a there is such a distinct physical difference, especially at the high school collegiate and on uh, levels of things that it's. Um, 
I just, I can't, <laughs> I, oh, and I, I'm, can't, I can't, you know, I can't round that. I can't fit that round peg in that square hole. Like it just doesn't I, work. <laughs> I'm, I'm, incl I'm inclined to agree. I, I was, I was speaking more about when they're talking about the, um, the, you know, in the sciences and behavioral sciences, not wanting to break things down by sex and gender and, and research, for instance, I'm thinking, well, that's that, no, that's, that's still valuable. Um, but yeah, no, I, there's, there's also an issue medically, right? I mean, it, it is, it is important to, to distinguish males from females for a lot of medical conditions. And I think, you know, with sports as well, um, there, there are definite, physical differences between between men and women that that do manifest themselves there males and females right right so so that kind of takes us into I, I didn't really want to spend a, a whole whole lot of time on that side of it because like i said um i do find the uh the suppression of academic freedom yeah. to be the more the more important and interesting topic in this because um, it's not just on sex and gender. Like it is kind of across the board on, on a lot of other topics as well. But this one is a, is a big one that um, I think is becoming more blatantly obvious. And, and also with things uh, as they've progressed over the last three or four years, it has been kind of pushed to the forefront of this, uh, of this conversation and, and of the, censoring on college campuses type of a thing so so let's kind of start to dig into some of this um with the the suppression of academic freedom and some of the uh so the suppression of academic freedom why why it matters and and then um what can be done about it so what did you what were some of your takeaways on the um, specifically on the suppression side of it? Like it talks about um, smear campaigns, blacklisting, harassment. People have literally quit their jobs and just left entirely from the uh, from their field because of because of the smear campaigns and because of the harassment that they get just over like having a uh, unapproved yeah. Opinion, I guess. Yeah, and again, so the, these are these are terrible stories and and extreme cases, but they're they're what create that fear um, in in other in in areas of of academia, just more broadly. Um, I I do think fear of, of suppression of, of research is a very genuine concern. It's a very genuine concern when you're, when you're submitting an article, um, you know, will this, will this get published or is it too, is it, is it too, uh, you know, controversial? That should never be a question when, when you're submitting, especially to, to a, an academic article because this is i agree with with the um sorry when you're submitting to an academic journal because I, I agree with the authors that these are supposed to be places where you're working out ideas right you're experimenting you're going back and forth sometimes just for the heck of going back and forth like i love lobbing ideas off of people that i don't necessarily believe in wholeheartedly or responding for the sake of responding well what about this counter argument when you can't do that and i see this with my with my friends who are who are on the left and we 
debate politics and we debate various measures. When you don't encounter opinions that are maybe a little bit antithetical or very antithetical to your own, you can't really respond and you can't really support them. And so that makes your thinking about things very, very shallow, which is why actually another one of my pet interests is the Russian Revolution, which is why you, you go back and like the old Bolsheviks, right, are super, super ideological and really know what they're talking about. And then the newer the newer crowd is just like, yeah, no, I, I just believe this stuff, but I can't really support it because there's there's absolutely no ideological dialogue back and forth. And that's what I see playing out in the universities. And it's, it's, it's scary to me because that bears on the content of, of our discourse in society just going forward for, for the next generations. So that's like, that's one of the big things that it talks about here through this segment of, of this article. It's like um, a research paper to examine the broader social and psychological reasons for a surge in gender dysphoria among teenage girls prompted protests from gender identity campaigners. Um, let's see, there was a, uh, a proposed research project to, to research people who detransition, which was blocked by the university due to concerns about potential reputation damage to the university. Like, like stuff being shut down, not, not on the basis of whether or not it was done properly, not on the basis of anything actual scientific or, or reasoned, but because people were getting mad about it. It's like, like if I'm wrong, tell me why I'm wrong. Like, show me that I'm wrong. Explain to me how I'm wrong. Like, if you, if you just come and cancel me because you think I'm wrong, even though, even though the research that I did was not, was not um, opinion based, it was they're like, they're talking about simply doing research on things that are happening societally. They're not, you know, coming at it with a tilt. They're coming at it to to look at what's happening and why. And they're being shut down for this stuff, not for any reason other than pure ideology. Like that's, you know, if they were out here saying that, uh, you know, the world is, or the sky is falling or something with no, you know, with no concrete evidence to support it. Um, yeah, you could, you know, you can justify shutting that down, but, but to simply say you can't do, you can't even do research because that's not, you're not talking about the right things. You're not researching, uh, you're not researching something that is positive to this narrative. Like that's, that's well, scary. I and look how up the chain it goes to, because it, it's, again, it's a specter, right? So this research in the article is blocked by the university due to concerns about reputational damage. Well, who, who would be damaging the reputation? It's, it's this amorphous entity of people who will be mad at you, the mob. There is a mob. There will be a mob somewhere. So when this research is getting blocked, a lot of times it's not even getting blocked by people who want to block it, maybe. But they, they feel like, I can't support this. If we do this, then there's going to be a thing. And you know what? Maybe it will be. But part of the reason it will be is because everyone is so afraid to, to be the first to, to jump into the fray. And that's like, it, 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 it extends beyond even um, actual research and, and stuff like that. Like there's, in the article, it talks about a guy that, he wasn't even a, a professor or a researcher or anything. He just had a 
he just had a general job on on campus and he wouldn't he wouldn't get behind the uh the trans women are women slogan and said you know if if that's going to be if that's going to be a an official position of the of the university then i'm going to step down from my position because i like i i'm i am uh ideologically i don't agree with that so i'll just I'll just step down from my position. Like it's, it's not a big deal. And they went after him like wholeheartedly and tried to have him like completely just kicked off of everything campus related because he resigned from a position because he didn't, he, he had a, uh, an ethical uh, disagreement with a stance that they were going to take. Like he, he did the thing that would be arguably, um, morally and ethically right for for him like he um he wasn't going to to take a position that he didn't agree with so he wasn't trying to like push his own opinion on anybody he just said i'll i'll uh i'll step down from my position and they went after him as i try to adjust my camera so that i don't have light just right in my face it's so you're gonna have to okay. move like it's, it's just gonna keep on here. happening it's gonna keep on happening it's just gonna be a thing um, see, I'm in front of my air conditioner now. Yeah, no, I and 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 that's that's the problem, right? Is is the the fact that when people when people are silenced, when this kind of stuff happens, then it makes no one even want to articulate the nuances of a position, right? Um, so I said that I'm I'm actually I'm I'd probably be if you wanted to really peg me and really use labels, you might like I'm I'm extremely left on gender to the extent that it just doesn't freaking matter why are we talking my pronoun should be it and they honestly i don't because it's not a th yeah and uh but i that's only refer to you as it from now on you can completely refer to me as it i don't care um and in fact maybe that would just be be better for everyone um but I will respect anyone else's pronouns, whatever they want to be called. I, I think of gender as like a, a name. It's a name. You're, okay, what name were you assigned at birth? What name do you want now? It's fine. Um, but I can't even suss out the intricacies of, of that and explain that because the second there's something that deviates, um, you know, if, if, if I were to say, well, and that's why I don't care about my pronouns, then that is the, that, that is the part that gets attacked, that I don't care about my, well, what you don't care about anyone's pro, you're not going to, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just funny because it eliminates all nuance. So, so that's actually an argument that I've made recently is the, the problem with trying to have this kind of a conversation with someone who's on, especially on the extremely progressive far leftist side of it is uh, you have to go all the way however yeah. far they're wanting to go with it if you are not willing to go that far and then continue to go further as they decide to change their definitions then you are a right-wing nazi you know ultra maga whatever and so so like that's that's where the distinction is you are either a hundred percent aligned with literally whatever they want want to say today and when they change it tomorrow, you're also on board with it tomorrow and next week and next month. And and the second that you deviate from whatever the next step that they've taken is, you're now ultra MAGA and you're the enemy. And that, I mean, yeah. that, you can't have you can't have 
discussion with people who are like that. Like, unfortunately, I mean, right. We can try, but which is why I'm over here on the extremely far left, separating sex from gender and saying, let's just break down the you know, break down certain things with with sexually dimorphic differences break it down by sex or sex or whatever and, and distinguish males from men and females from, i'm i'm totally on board with that but again that there's there are portions of that argument that get drawn out and we can't no, it sounds, most, yeah sounds like you're a neo-confederate yeah yeah it's awful so i wanted to get want to get back to the article there's a a uh, a really good line here so i, I read from one that i really liked there at the beginning with the the quote so this one right here, the refusal to engage with offensive views directly reflected in the tactics described above means that certain views are widely available only in a misrepresented form. The history Mary Beard provides an example in a recent review of Jermaine Greer's book on rape. Beard shows with careful quotes from the book how a lot of what Greer is accused of saying about rape completely misrepresents her arguments. Beard notes that perhaps Greer is being punished for her much-quoted remarks on the trans community and that the anger at what she has said on the topic has clouded fair judgment on her arguments on rape. A vicious circle of ignorance and offense often follows. Uh, once an individual has been denounced, her work can be freely misrepresented since her opponents will not give it fair reading or any reading at all. Uh, that, mm -hmm. That's the... Uh, like that's the crux of of academia now is as soon as you have been labeled one of these people there is no there is no fair reading here there is no uh there is no nuance you are you are exclusively demonized and and the enemy period yeah and i love the phrase of vicious circle of ignorance because that's that's what it cultivates right i mean if you're only reading the books that you agree with if I were only reading the books that I agree, I would not, I don't think any of those books would be on my shelf. Wouldn't have Plato up there, that's for sure. I wouldn't have Marx. I got tons of Marx, wouldn't have them up there. I mean, it, 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 it's just, it baffles me. And how small would my world be? How little would I be able to defend my positions? And how, how little would my positions be enriched? Because I wouldn't have the ideological backing to go and say, no, I don't believe that. But this is kind of a good point. So I have to wrestle with it and figure out why I don't believe it. That's meaningful. And so, yeah, I, I love the phrase vicious circle of ignorance. But you're right. People don't get people don't get a fair hearing when um, when someone just latches on to a to a small detail that's often, you know, kind of born in calumny anyhow. Well, so that's that's kind of like with my uh, my spiritual and religious journey is I've spent a lot of time reading the Quran, reading the Dhammapada, studying Taoism and different Eastern religions and stuff like that, looking at, at the different, um, like the different denominations of, of, of uh, Protestantism, you know, mm. Baptist, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterians, uh, Church of God, Church of Christ, like a lot of these, uh, the Latter-day Saints, the uh, Mormonism, Catholicism, Judaism, like I have spent a lot of time looking at all these different types of, of religion. And, and when I was, especially at one point when I was really, really looking at like Taoism and also at the Dhammapada, um, some people that I went to church with were like, why do you read all that stuff? It's like, uh, I was like, like, 
aren't you worried that that's gonna like make you question your religion? I was like, if my if yeah, it should your faith. I'm like, if my faith is so weak that reading something that might be a little different than what you're reading is going to shake it to its core, then I didn't have a whole lot of faith to begin with, and it probably needs to be shaken. Like the that's you know challenging your own beliefs is at a necessary step towards growth and, and like like for me none of my studies and any of that did anything but strengthen my own faith and and enrich it and make it give it more depth and and give me more of an understanding of where i am in the world and where the rest of the world is um as i come to it so like 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 i was talking about at the beginning you know i had a an english comp professor who all we did was write opinion pieces and you had to be able to like part of the requirement for your paper was you had to make your points, but you also had to lay out the other side and then refute the other side. Like it wasn't just enough that you knew what your side of the argument was. You had to also understand the other side of the argument and explain why either it was wrong or misguided or that you were simply more correct in what you believed as opposed to what that side believed. Like there. Yeah. That's a uh, it's a valuable step towards actual knowledge and, and understanding in in all of these topics. And uh, so, what's the what's the solution for modern academia? Are you seeing anything um, in your own academic career? Because you're you're making a career of it, after all. I, I actually allegedly. Yeah. Um, I, I actually do see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And right now it's, it's sort of a battle, right? Because there's, you know, there, there, there's the ideology, um, and oftentimes kind of getting washed out through the administration. And then there's, again, my friends on the left who are coming to me and like, I don't know what to say. Um, what, what's the solution? You know, I, I don't look at policy solutions. Typically, I do not believe that the government can enforce, uh, pluralism on the ground. If we have pluralistic institutions of which academia should be one, uh, but policies are, are generally not the way that I go. I think it happens again on the individual level. It happens on the level of being that person who's going to say, I'm not sure about this. And oftentimes when you do that, you do find a willing audience. It, it does have to do with phrasing, which is why I'm in WhatsApp trying to message people and say, say it this way, phrase like that. But it, it turns people gently to be, oh, okay, well, I can hear that and not fall apart. I can say that and no one will jump on top of me. So I think the solution is people being brave. Um, and I, and I, I do see that. Um, and, and that, that gives me a little bit of faith as well. Yeah. The uh, kind of the, the solution that they sort of came around to on here in the article, um, uh, the to quote the last paragraph, as this article focuses on academic freedom, we have emphasized the case of academics and quasi-academic workers, but there is also a complementary case for strengthening free speech as an employment right for all workers, given that the absence of such protection tends to expose uh, organizations to policy capture, weaken democratic discourse, 
and can only be detrimental to the ability of policymakers to know the views of the people they represent. Universities are not ivory towers, and our ability to defend academic freedom and to deliver knowledge as a public good is undermined by a wider climate of censorship. So, yeah, some uh, it's not as simple as, hey, free speech is good, you know, but but at some point people have to uh, people have to have some balls about it and step up and say, I'm willing to say things that are not popular. And at the same time, there has to be an administrational agreement that things that are not popular are going to be said. That's it's a necessary part of the research and learning process is to actually have these conversations, not to suppress them. Yeah. Well, and, and so another thing that the author said w with which I didn't agree was that they said, you know, it's, it's the, it's the profit driven system that we have. Um, and it's like, there it is, there it is. Um, it's the fact that universities are for profit, but that cannot be the case. First of all, when by the author's own admission, the majority of students don't want this, right? So really universities are neglecting to see their, their students as, as customers who want a given product. Instead, they're kind of looking at society and being like, oh, you know, we have to have our strategic communications officer, which yes, those exist. We have to have our, our deputy dean for strategic communications come out and, and, and you know, examine all of this and make sure that this is okay and within bounds. The students aren't being treated like customers. And that has to do with a lot of times that has to do with the entanglement between the state and the university. A, a lot of times this happens at public universities tend to tend to struggle with this. Um, and, and there are reasons for that when universities do know that they need to treat their students as learners, because that's what their students want as customers, then things change. And I just have trouble thinking that um, English universities are actually like a for-profit model. They don't they don't actually yeah. play Quidditch over there. They don't have football teams. So how are they? Uh, they don't have American football teams. I don't know. Maybe soccer makes a lot of money, but uh, I don't know if they have university teams or not there. But you know, like the American model is definitely for-profit because you got you've got all the uh, all the big sports going on. But I just don't know how they're making money in the uh, the English universities. Well, there. I mean, again, it's 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 taxpayer funded. So there's there's actually no motivation. Real and, and again, you know, I shouldn't speak. Uh, I shouldn't talk about things maybe that I don't know much about. But my understanding is that there is very little motivation uh, for universities outside of well, we want students to come here so we get more government money. Um, and yes, tuition is a thing, but the I, the profit model is the solution not the, not the problem yeah it doesn't uh, seem like it doesn't seem like that's the uh doesn't seem like that's necessarily what's at the root of of the problem especially well i mean anywhere really i, I don't think the i don't think yeah. the, uh being for profit is uh what's causing these types of things to happen on the on the university level no no especially when most students don't want this. And the, the authors admit that clearly. Okay, so why is it happening? Uh, yeah, they, they talk yeah. about how it is a very vocal minority that are, that mm -hmm. are the, the, uh, the cause of this. Like it's not a, it is the bending to a very small mob, not a uh, acknowledgement of the larger majority 
the silent majority as uh, us on the right tend to call them. Yeah, yeah. Well, got anything else you want to add to this? I think we covered it fairly well. Oh man, no this this was this was a really good read. It was a really interesting one. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I don't think anything else in particular. Um, I'm sure if we went through it line by line, uh, there would there would be we'd have a lot of comments. But think think you kind of nailed it, and I really enjoyed this one. I enjoyed reading it. Like I said, it was a little heavier than our typical conversations, but it was one that as soon as I got about, I got about halfway into it and I was like, okay, this, my initial plan was that I was going to just like cover it really quickly on my own. And as I got about halfway through it, I was like, I can't do this by myself. Like I, I need somebody who's, I need a female who is in academia, who actually like knows what's going on at colleges and universities and can can articulate like what's happening in the real world of this and, and also bring a female perspective on it. It's like I, I can't <laughs> I'm sorry. You you give me like the least female perspective <laughs> but yeah yeah I am and, I am a yeah yeah it I knew you would I knew you would read it and and have thoughts on it and be able to to talk about it. So I thought you were the the perfect choice for this. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, it's it is not a short read, but for anybody who hasn't taken the the chance, I will have it linked both in the uh, the comments or on the uh, the description for the stream as well as in the description for the podcast episode itself. Be sure to give it a read. It is totally worth the time. It is a very good read. Um, and while you're at it, check out uh, go, or go listen to or read The Coddling of the American Mind for some more stuff along similar lines. And uh, Amanda, give your plugs and then we will call it a show. Watch the Civil Discord podcast. Listen to the Civil Discord podcast. Fall in love with the Civil Discord podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at Civil Discord Pod. It, podcast was too long. But yes, do all those things um, because they're good things to do. You absolutely should do all of those things. And while you're at it, uh, be sure to like and subscribe to my channel, uh, share the video everywhere. And you can also check me out uh, every, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the morning after at uh, 7.30 Central, 8.30 a.m. Eastern. And, you know, if you're not willing to wake up that Way early. too early. If you're not willing to wake <laughs> up that early, you can always check out the replay later in the day as well. Um, it's like, yeah. I used to wake up at 5.30 for a tourist study on the East Coast on Zoom. And that's it's way too way too early. So. See, you can just wake up and listen to me and a couple other retards talk about whatever's going on in the news. There we go. Hope everybody has a great rest of your day, a great rest of your week. And I will be back on Monday with a brand new episode. Have a good one. <laughs>